God kveld, alle sammen. Velkommen til Kafeteatret og dag to av Oslo Acro Arts Festival. For dere som ikke var her i går, så var det en heidundrende kveld. Og det blir ikke noe dårligere i dag, for å si det sånn. Og i morgen blir det enda bedre. Så dere må bare henge her. Jeg må si en litt sånn kjip ting, holdt jeg på å si. Etter den debatten her, så tar vi altså betalt for konsertene. Så de som ønsker å bli, må da betale for det. Sånn er det bare, for at vi ikke skal gå veldig i minus. Jeg skal ikke si så mye om den debatten, for det skal Johan fra Fellesrådet få lov til å si. Han skal få introdusere alle paneldeltakerne. Men jeg skal si en ting, og det er... Jeg skal ikke ta hele takkelista nå, for det er veldig mange. And I'm gonna do this in English. Because we have World Remit present in the house. And they are our main sponsor. So I would like you to give them an applause for helping us make the festival. And they are over there if you have any questions. Apparently it's super cheap to send money all over the world. So use them. Og så snakker jeg norsk igjen. Takk også til Kafeteatret. Jeg vil bare si det. Og Nordic Black som huser oss. Og så er det veldig, veldig mange andre vi skal takke. Og det skal jeg gjøre utover kvelden. Men akkurat nå så tror jeg vi skal komme i gang med... Ja. He said they have things to give away for free. Tote bags and such. So, you know, make your way over and have a chat. With World Remit. Da ønsker jeg velkommen på scenen Johan fra Fellesrådet for Afrika. Vi er veldig stolt over å samarbeide med dem i år, så ønsker han hjertelig velkommen. Hello everybody. As we're going to sort of have this debate in English, I'm going to sort of transition into English. Just sort of to, before we kick off, I'll... I'm going to say a few words about the Norwegian Council for Africa, Fellesrådet for Afrika. Uh, we're very glad to, to, to host this debate and to cooperate with the Oslo, uh, Oslo Afro-Arts Festival. Um, we're a human rights and solidarity movement and organization uh, this year turning 50 years. Uh, and our anniversary is going to take place in November, uh, celebrating 50 years of uh, fighting uh, apartheid in the, in the southern African region and, uh, and colonialism uh, in an historic, that's sort of our heritage and our, and our history. And today, uh, the Norwegian Council for Africa is an organization that challenges structures, um, be it political, societal, cultural, economic that um, hinder um, justice and, uh, and rights. Uh, it is from that perspective that we approach the, today's topic, uh, the politicization or the politics, uh, politics of here. Um, I don't think I'm gonna say much more than that, uh, only to, to welcome First uh, to the stage, uh, our moderator for this evening, Moziswe um, Bakwa, and say also that uh, you can find out more about the Norwegian Council for Africa by talking to either me or to Hilde in the back. Uh, afterwards, we 
do uh, depend on and we do welcome everyone to, to join in the work that we do, um, both related to this, this type of topic and to other types of topics that the Norwegian Council for Africa works with. Now welcome Nuziswe. Sure. Ladies and gentlemen, how are you? Are you good? Yeah. It's five, so I needed to have my spirit water before I could do anything else. It's been a long day. Uh, and sadly, I didn't have time to comb my hair before I came. I literally ran in between two meetings to my barber. But it's a Friday. And uh, Fridays in hair salons generally is probably a thing, but Fridays in black hair salons. So yeah. Uh, I'm very happy to be here at uh, Oslo Afro Arts Festival. I'm very happy to be here on behalf of Fellas Rode for Africa. Uh, and I'm very happy to be moderating this discussion on the politics of hair, mostly because I believe uh, that Politics is personal. And I believe that the more it becomes normal to talk about the personal experiences of being in politicized spaces and in this very strange politicized time that we live in, the better it is for all of us. So I'm very happy to see you all here. Uh, and with that, we should just get down into business. We're going to open the discussion up in not so long. So think hard, ladies and gents. Think up good questions. Uh, I am very honored to introduce my uh, fellow speakers. I will start with Onges Wambele. She is a theater producer an actress and a poet who has also had uh, work relations here at Café Teatre in the time that she's been here. Uh, she is originally South African, which makes me extra biased and extra proud. Welcome, Ngezwa. And next up, I would like to introduce Leah Bateman. Leah is a flight attendant for SAS. Um, she has earlier experimented or worked in the world of modeling. She is uh, your traditional video babe. <laughs> uh, and has been uh, an important figure uh, in music and creative industries, both in Sweden and here in Norway. Welcome, Leo. And last but not least, I would like to introduce Lily Donker. She is a conference speaker, assistant pastor, and a mentor, 
And in her former life, early 20s, she was a recording artist. She was born in Nigeria, raised in Canada, worked in the US, and now lives in Norway. And she is passionate about women knowing and owning their identity in all areas, including their hair. Welcome, Lily. So I think what's actually going to be the challenge, um, I'm not going to look at my phone, so Johan, when it's like five to seven, will you like wave frantically so that I know to stop? Maybe 10 too, so you give me time to, yeah. Uh, welcome to the debate about the politics of hair. Uh, hair and identity and the aesthetic appearance of self um, is always an issue that touches on very many different aspects. And I think black women's hair uh, is definitely not an issue that gets talked about a lot publicly uh, in Norway. And I had the pleasure of meeting with these ladies earlier, and we realized that, you know, when you think about politics, you can, you can really take it in very many different directions, right? Uh, and so I think that the economics of the politics of black hair uh, is potentially one aspect we might not get so deeply into. But apart from that, we're going to have a great conversation. Um, I actually kind of uh, thought I wanted to start um, with you, Ongezwa, and ask you, what do you understand by the notion or the idea of the politics of hair? Um, because I'm South African, during the apartheid era, one of the many verification of who's privileged or not to exist in the world would be a pencil test in terms of they'd put a pencil on your, in your hair. So if the pencil actually fell, therefore you were white and therefore you were privileged in that system. And if the, you know, because black hair is curly and kinky, so if the pencil was stuck in your hair, then, you know, you were black and therefore you were regarded non-human, kind of, you know, during the apartheid era. And so then my existence of politics of hair comes with that baggage. So whether I consciously choose it or not, it's there, it's the reality. And therefore, because of just how I've been raised, I don't have the luxury not to be political. I'm a black person in this world <laughs> that, yeah, that has issues with black people at times. And, and having had have the past that is South Africa and apartheid. So it's that. And I think it's, it's quite, the, the whole notion of the, of the hair, personal, political, the journey changes. Because you know, when you start 
with me, for me, when I started not uh, relaxing my, when I stopped relaxing my hair, or trying to exist in relation to a white person's hair, because that's what starts happening um, in South Africa in terms of, you know, like you start, you, you kind of assimilate into what the standard is of beauty, of, of schooling, and if you go into the, um, the schools which were previously white, you, culturally you kind of fit in into you want to, as a child, want to actually think that is what being human is because that's how, what, what the entrenchment is. So when I stopped relaxing my hair, it was for political reasons. It was for like, I want just to be political. And then, and then eventually it's just, it's my hair and it, it's a journey, you know, sometimes I just feel like, you know, I'm not gonna be in no way and spend 2,000 kroners. My priorities are for me to travel or drink a glass of wine and have a conversation. You know, like I'm, I just, I'm not that girl, so I'm not gonna go into a salon and spend that much money. I don't do it in South Africa or either. So those are the, it's, it's quite complex for me. It's not an easy road. I'm constantly navigating it and realizing its meaning. But I'm thinking because you're very uh, clear about the specificity of the South African existence, I mean, the South African experience. Mm. Uh, but I'm thinking for you, Lea, growing up in Sweden, uh, when she speaks about, when Ongezo mentions this about kind of the white standard uh, or this idea of like a pre and post relaxer, is, that, is, there, is there anything in that that you can relate to or that you? Um, I think that uh, when we met earlier today, we were talking about how some people even trick you into getting the relaxer that you don't even know that you're getting. <laughs> you will go to a saloon and they will just tell you that, oh, we're just gonna make it softer. We're just gonna texturize it. We're just gonna make this. We're just gonna make yeah. that. And then when you start to feel the burn, you know what they're doing. And I even had that growing up with my mother because I think it was just like, um, I think that she meant it for the best for me to just fit in and be like the other girls and look like the other girls because every time that I didn't, I felt excluded, I felt different. And even just getting braids, I felt different. But as soon as you had like any kind of like softer texture, you could almost, and it's very strange, but you could almost feel how people like eased up around you, how how white people made you made them comfortable when you looked more like them. But as soon as you had your natural hair, it's almost like, so are you gonna comb your hair? What is going on with your hair? What is like it's it's a it's a thing with hair. But I think it's interesting that it's called relaxer. <laughs> it's a very unrelaxing experience. It's really not relaxing, and not, I just want not for it's, us. No, no, I mean it's who, relaxing who? for I guess everyone else. But it's so interesting. Like who thought up that name? <laughs> who was like this really <laughs> potent chemical that can burn through a coke can? Like you put it in your hair and then everybody's relaxed. But that's not the strangest thing. The strangest no. thing is going in there and getting this treatment that you, that is not meant for your hair, that you didn't even want. And the women who are giving it to you are treating you as if they're genuinely doing you a favor yeah. and that you should be thankful. But if you ever walked into like a white saloon, I used to work at Tony mm. and Guy. And when I saw how they treated the women there, I was like, what is happening here? They were so nice. <laughs> 
They were like giving them wine and coffee and tea and genuinely asking them, what do you want me to do with your hair? How do you like it? What are you looking for? In a black saloon, if you, if you just like get somewhat of what you wanted, you should be very happy. Like 40% is actually like 30% is, it's actually 30% like is, is good. It's top notch. Very good. I, I actually had a white uh, hair dresser do my hair for this event I did on Tuesday. And I could almost not feel her touch my hair. She was like, And I was like, what, what sorcery is this? What magic do you speak of? What do you mean, this de your wound? But um, uh, Lily, having uh, also lived in Canada, I mean, I think all black kids who did not grow up in the United States and Canada have imagined that that's where black hair is, it flourishes. That's where black hair is treated with love and respect and Everybody's just like hiding long manks of like manageable hair. Yeah. No, because um, there, almost every other corner, you'll see a black beauty supply store. And it's just wall to wall of weaves and wigs. Um, for those that are natural, it actually, um, let's say the last three, four years is really when it started to uh, grow the knowledge of how to take care of your hair. So a lot of the people that are natural, you know, I was go I'd go as far as to say about 75% of them had to learn how to care for their own hair. Um, and in doing that, it sort of forced the hands of professionals to learn. Um, I have a friend of mine, I was just in uh, Toronto for three weeks. I came back two days ago, I went to see her. And she has, you know, a really good business. She does hair for celebrities. Like when they come down for, um, like last year they had the playoffs in Toronto, NBA playoffs. And she did the hair of some of the wives. So she's very well established. And as she was doing my hair, she was sort of griping about the natural hair movement, how a lot of the girls that come in feel that they know more than her. And I said, well, Aisha, you have to uh, be honest. When we come into the salon, it's either we're being told to perm our hair, straighten our hair, or is there's just general confusion as to what to do with this, you know, tangled, matted thing, right, that they're not familiar with. And these are black women. These are not Caucasian or Hispanic women that are having uh, challenges. So when I sat there, we had an honest conversation um, about it and just the lack of experience. And she admitted that it's just recently, maybe a year and a half ago, that she went and got retooling and actually learned how to take care of um, our hair texture. You know, and it was, it was very odd to hear that. So odd that a black hairdresser, so late in her career, well-established, right. only a year ago, learned how to deal with the natural state right. of other black women's hair. Right, because typically all you do is you install a weave or a wig or you perm the hair, just make it straight and manageable. But uh, you, you define this movement as the natural hair movement. That's a term that's popular, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and I wonder about that. I wonder about, yeah, the origins or the idea around the fact that there's a political movement uh, to define black women's hair as 
natural as opposed to unnatural right as opposed to unnatural because please feel free all of you right we, we don't have to I'm do sure this in terms of we terms had of our hair permed at some point and that's the unnatural state that's not how it naturally grows out of our scalp it's uh you know chemical is applied and it's stretched and it's, it's all these other processes are done to change it so you know previously it was in an unnatural state I just, uh, I mean, um, I understand the whole notion of the movement, but what always start, I start questioning is this whole natural hit. You know, like all of a sudden you need to define it, that it is natural, you know, that it is authentic, that it is, and it just, you can't just exist. And, and that for me, that's, and that's the crucial part of of this dichotomy of being black is, as a black woman, you can't just relax. You can't just decide you're gonna wake up in the morning and just go, okay, today, um, there's something constantly that you're gonna be triggered in or about. And, and so this whole notion of being natural, in a, like who wakes up, who's born, going, oh, your hair is gonna be natural. So there's always something that existence is always in relation to, and in relation to white supremacy. And I have to constantly bring back that and, and that awareness. And and some and some sometimes I just think, also, I just wanna exist. I just wanna have my hair. I want to just not even get into a movement and not be political <laughs> for once day and just breathe. You know. But I think that, like, it's in this day and age, as a black woman, actually embracing any form of, like, natural hair or just a love of yourself is an act of rebellion in itself. Because mm. I see that a lot of people, uh, when we spoke earlier today about me cutting my hair, I shaved my head a couple of years ago. And Apropo, uh, which in uh, black liberation or black self-love terminology, is called the big cut, yes. yeah? So this idea of then cutting, right? Post, pre, relaxer. Mm -hmm. This is a thing, yes. you know? The, it's not just a haircut, it's the big cut. I didn't experience it as the big cut until I realized or saw how other people reacted to the big cut. For mm. me, it was just a trendy haircut because mm. I needed to do something new. But then seeing how other people reacted to me not having hair or not fitting to how I used to look or how they're used to me looking, I'm just a very rebellious person by nature. So obviously, experiencing that people didn't like it or didn't or had a problem with it made me realize how big of a deal other people make my hair and how much of an issue it is for other people, especially other black people. But now that we know that there is this, uh, and I really, the, the idea about you know just wanting to exist and not wanting to be political really resonates with me because it, you know, you wake up and this is your hair and it's as if it's a choice, right? Like it's a political statement and not just like, I don't have 2,000 kroners to go braid my hair today. Or like, I don't want to. And it's or painful. It's painful. Or like, I'm not, it's literally like, it's part of a bigger persona, a bigger identity. You know, we all know about Erica Badu and Indiari and the head wraps and the ankhs <laughs> and the like. 
the political movement that you know preceded also Black Lives Matter and this natural hair movement. And I think you know, listening to you speak about this rebellion uh, and the cut, how do you then uh, feel, or how do you feel perceived wearing a weave today? Um, well, today I, I'm going to a very Caucasian event later. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm just, you know, not too long ago, I, you know, I have like a collection of wigs. I love wigs. And that is a part of embracing uh, black hair because growing up, my hair was, uh, was, something that was just like, it was a hassle, it was troubles, it was just like a build of, of, of anxiety like most of the time. So now my black hair is amazing because I, I, it's a mess underneath because I didn't do anything, but I can choose how I want to look almost every day. So I, I, I think it's, you have to like choose what you want to emphasize on. And for me, I think it's a blessing to be able to switch up your style and do something new whenever you want to. And and you say that, and I hear you, and I respect you for that. But you must know that in the, in the circles I run, which is probably just an idea I have myself, mm. I am not allowed to wear wigs. But you know what? That comes with, uh, like that I was talking about the, when I cut my hair and the struggle that I was going through. I come from a place where I was the only black child growing up my entire childhood. So I don't need to justify my struggle or my fight to anyone who doesn't know me or doesn't know my background. Mm. That's not for anyone else to judge what I come from or how I want to view myself. I have natural hair underneath. My hair is untreated. It's just very unmanageable and therefore I like to just do it, live it easy. That's just my thing. But I'm, if anyone wants to talk about about my hair, because a lot of people do. A lot of people love to bring up the fact that you're just trying to fit into like a white beauty standard or blah, 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 blah. But I'm genuinely just choosing the hair that I feel cutest in in the morning. I mean, it, I, I like the fact that you make the choice. Um, and, and for me, it's always like with all, it's it, what, what informs your choice. That is what I, I'm always interested in. You know, like, what is your truth? Let's hear your story, because we, we all have different stories, and we all make the choices that we want to make. So now I'm not going to be Jehovah's Witness of weaves, because <laughs> I've got dreadlocks. You know, like, I'm not going to be like going, you know, because then, then there's also a borderline, because it gets complex, of policing women, of policing, and it's, it's a constant thing with, of policing women's bodies, of, 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 of policing, which is very inherent, into, into the fact that exoticizing the black body, the black hair, and the violence on the black body, and it sucks although, you know, because it's not just, it's not like I'm gonna be violent in this way. It's, it's, it's that non, 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 um, non, Non-verbal or like passive-aggressive maybe? Passive-aggressive, you know, and, and so for me it's always, it's, yeah, it's that whole thing of, then now you've got people going, Ay, but why are you wearing weaves and things like that? So it's like, don't have time for being policed. But this is interesting about the idea of being policed uh, because we know of white supremacy and we know of the need to not just fit in. I mean, there's, you know, you make 
with your career, you know, you have certain freedoms, no? Mm -hmm. So certain careers perhaps facilitate for or allow for natural hair as opposed to other careers where, again, with the intersectional reality of that, you respect the black woman for at all entering and engaging and existing in those spaces. Mm -hmm. So the idea that she must capitulate, give up mm. by wearing the weave. Mm. You all remember when Beyonce took it off, no? And how we all felt like a... <laughs> it's off, guys, it's off. Did you see it? Did you see it? WhatsApp was going mad. Guys, 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 she took it off, she took it off. Because even in, the, even with her being one of the most powerful black women on this planet, the idea is that there's a part of her she is still masking mm. or she's still hiding. So when is it? When do we get to the point where we're like, it's okay? Mm. Like, these beauty standards, they have impacted and made an effect. We were talking about that, Lily, just in relation to long hair, right? Because it might not seem irrelevant, uh, but it's very relevant. That, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> is Lily's goddamn hair. <laughs> <laughs> that is not a weave. I felt Caucasian for the moment she said that because I wanted to touch it. <laughs> you can, you can. I really just wanted to. I was like, what sorcery is this? That's your hair? And she was, you know, because, you know, you have the... And I was, like, thinking that it was a weave also or a wig, and then you're like... So there's this acknowledgement that even within the natural hair revolution, there is a fascination and a love of length. Like Right? Is that, is that whiteness? Or is that, like, when is it that we get to just also, when is it ours? To uh, touch on the first thing that you talked about, when, and then I'll talk about the length uh, piece. Um, I think it's easier, for instance, if you own your own business, you can sort of uh, call the shots. Or if you work in academia, I think it's also a little bit you know, different in that sense. But if you have to clock in, you work in the corporate environment, there's a culture there, you don't write your own checks, that's when we get into um, having to assimilate. You know? And I can even take it back to our parents, for instance, and now I sort of see why, to an extent, <laughs> why they had this, um, they had this push on us to make sure you're well-kempt and perm your hair because they were looking at the economics of it. Who's going to hire you? How are you going to fit in? You know, how are you going to uh, take care of yourself? How are you going to get into that school that you want if your appearance isn't appealing? You know, so from that standpoint, I can sort of understand where they were coming from when they held you down for eight hours and, you know, were making you cry by combing out and perming and, you know, having a 10-year-old go through such pain. Um, I have to shoot in there. Go ahead. Pain, which also on some level has been romanticized, right? Mm -hmm. The idea that, I mean... Beauty's pain. Right? And the way black girls and boys, but for the most part, black girls must suffer. And there's something so sweet about seeing small black girls cry as they get their hair braided. With my, my daughter, I took my daughter to the hair salon. And she didn't cry and I felt proud, but the pain that was associated, it's like, this is a ritual. This is a passing rite. This is what it means to be a black girl in the world. You know, no, no hair salon lady is like looking at you with pity. 
giving yeah. you candy, being like, shame, shall we call your grand? They're like, ha ha. <laughs> I mean, it's just yeah. like a. They went through it, so you have to as well. You have to go yeah, through yeah, it yeah. as well. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Were yeah, you gonna? I mean, I, 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 I like that whole notion. I, I mean, like, like, but your whole, the, the, the glorifying of pain mm-hmm. and suffering, uh, and, and which is because it's so normalized to suffer. As, as a black person in this, so, yeah. so for me it's always just like I, I did I'm not I'm not about this now, <laughs> no, and I and it's, you need to be uh, you need to I I decide consciously no I'm not, I'm not gonna be about this glorification of pain that is not and so it's reimagining and changing language constantly for the next generation mm-hmm. and and so at home we have rituals and. We, you know, and we're quite conscious when we see when it starts happening with the nieces and nephews. Like, and it's subtle, so it's like, oh, you know, oh, you know, we came out uh, at school, they taught us that, you know, black people uh, were poor. Are we poor? Yeah, we'll ask. You know, and you don't eat, and it's just, you ask the question, uh, do you, do, did you not eat in the morning? Did you, you know, and, and it's just like, it's, and it's those constant thing of building the language for the next generation, because I think what happened with our parents, there was a, a it was a, the urgency was to get you into the system. Right. Get you in, get your degree, get whatever you need, don't dream too much, just be in line, get into the system, and then fight in within the system. And then don't get fired. My dad these days goes, just don't get fired. Don't be, you know, like, and, 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 and that's the existence. And so then for the next generation, the luxury is the fact that you can in- engage and build new language. So there's this, I, I, new language is beautiful, but there's this idea then of, you know, the pain and the suffering, it's, it's part of the heritage, it's romanticized, mm. it's passed down intimately mm. in the fixing of hair, in the creating of people who are then, you know, able to be taken up by the system, right? Uh, I just want to go back to you, Lily, because you said that about how the, our parents uh, just wanted us to be accepted, uh, which is also in part a part of the policing, no? Mm-hmm. So there's the policing, you know, through the white supremacy, and then there's the policing at home. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know? I, I recall the reason I learned to do my own hair was because of my dad. He uh, raised me in large part. After moving to Canada, he and my mother were no longer together, and he stayed. she stayed in Nigeria, and uh, I moved to Canada with my father and my older brother. And there was a lady that he paid on retainer every single month for my hair care needs. So whenever I needed a touch-up, I'd just go there, no questions asked, because you know she'd send a monthly bill to my dad. And um, she had traveled this one Sunday evening, and Monday school, guys. I was 10 years old, I believe. And she had traveled, and I said, Dad, I can't go to school tomorrow. My hair is not done. And he said, nope. That can happen, because of course, education is number one. So he got a spool of thread. I don't know if you've seen those big spools of thread, okay? And he sat me down, you know, between his lap and started to do my hair. Have you seen that hairstyle where it all just sticks up and it's done with thread? 
So my dad decided that's how I'm going to go to school on Monday morning, my preteen years. The definition of like, you know, social suicide. So he did my hair in that and sent me off. I mean, the entire day I ate alone. I did not go out for recess. The bathroom was my hangout spot because I didn't want to be seen. And I vowed that day that never again will I be caught in such a situation. So I learned how to do my own hair because of that. And going back to the policing piece, it's that constant thing before you leave the house, make sure that you're presentable. Um, and then I shared earlier about uh, before I got married, I was, I was permed and then I went natural when I was about uh, 19, 20 and met my husband uh, when I was about 22. And at that time, I had gone natural again. And I recall about a month or so to the wedding, you know, just casually, he asked, so are you going to perm your hair for the wedding? And it was just a question. We didn't get into it, but it, it just stuck in my mind. So now I started asking myself, so what am I going to do for my, to my hair for the wedding? Am I going to straighten it, perm it, you know, almost doubting the fact that I can have natural hair and still walk down the aisle. Like, there wasn't a law against that, but... Just that seed that was planted in my hair, and I permed my hair for my wedding. And for two years afterwards, I was permed and sort of got sick of it and cut it all off and started again. So again, even within the most intimate relationship from my father to my husband, even my mom when I was in Nigeria, so I'm not going to pass it off and say it's a masculine thing and men are trying to change us. I'm not going to go that far. But just even that intimate space, there's that policing that you have to be uh, presentable, and presentability means straight hair, manageable hair. You said this about learning to take care of your own hair, uh, which <laughs> sadly also seems like almost a political act. Mm -hmm. uh, it's almost revolutionary. Yeah taking the power away and owning that power and that part of your identity. And it's so interesting that you say that because, you know, I'm 34 and I don't know how to take care of my own hair, right? Which is why... Well, I'll teach you. I'm so <laughs> thankful. It's not a wig, guys. Not a wig. I feel like we should clap for the hair. <laughs> Need a clap for the hair. <laughs> that is every black girl's dream. That hair. But... Uh, uh, this idea of um, changing the language uh, also means, in part, uh, something about educating yourself, right? Taking the choices, even if it's forced on you where Leah suddenly sees that people are making decisions for her or about who she is, or if it's a more kind of personal, active process. I have a daughter. Uh, she's six. There she is. Uh, and her hair texture is very different from mine. Her father's Colombian. Okay. And there was something about empowering and informing myself so that I wouldn't give her the language that spoke of her hair being difficult. Yeah. Mm. Because it's subtle. Yeah. Like you said, Don Gezwa, it's subtle. It's not, it's, it's, it's not always <laughs> as as present or as violent, and especially when it comes in the intimate personal space, when it's your mom, no offense, mom, or you know, your dad or your aunties, <laughs> but somehow the message is you are unkempt. Yeah. It's, it's messy, it's, it's not right. And, and a lot of that, I think, just comes from practical hair care ignorance. Mm. So now I feel in 2017, hair care 
is self-love and black women loving themselves is revolutionary, yeah. no? Yeah. Like at least once every two weeks, my husband knows. On a Saturday or Friday, take the kids, leave Lillian alone. Right. She needs her time. No, he knows. It's right. part of it. Right. You know, because it does take time. So I, I almost demand it as part of our family culture. Right. And you have children, no? I have two. I have a one-year-old uh, daughter and a soon-to-be five-year-old son. And what is the language around their hair? With... First, I'll talk about an incident that happened with my husband, and then I'll touch on the children piece. Um, so when I went natural again after being married, there was some um, tension, for lack of a better word, with my hair. Whenever we're going somewhere, getting dressed, you know, it wasn't violent or blatant, but there were subtle things that um, either the look on his face or a very snide comment here or there. Um, you know, why did you go back naturally? Your hair so short now. Things like that. Or when are you going to do your hair? And I would respond, it's done. Don't you like it? <laughs> and for now, let's say three years after that, I was in the bathroom one Sunday morning and I was, you know, getting ready in the morning. And he walked by the bathroom and it was almost like time stood still. I could see him reversing and he came back and he looked and said, is that your hair? I said, yep. He's like, dang. I'm like, yeah. I took care of it, and now it's long again. So as I mentioned before um, to the three of you, I started to see that it may not necessarily be that he was anti-natural hair, but he was more pro-length, right? Because I was natural both, si both times, but when he saw the length of it, his reaction was different. And now with my son, I, I let my son play in my hair and uh, we sort of have just playful discussions. If we're rolling around or he's playing horsey, he'll grab onto my hair and say, it's so big, mommy, I can hold on to this. And sometimes I'm like, okay, fine, just don't touch the edges. Cause you know, <laughs> that's another discussion altogether with the edges. Um, but just letting him get familiar with it and being conscious of the type of language and not making it so serious. You know, when I'm at home, my hair is wild, it's free, and he just, he plays in it all the time. But I think that when you're talking about uh, he's used to length, I think in general, not only men, but we are all, all of us growing up, the only people that I saw growing up were these girls, often white girls, with long, beautiful, curly, wavy right. hair that you could do anything with. And our hair has never been like that, and it's, most likely never going to be like that unless you do some genetic mixing. And that is a, that's a big with problem. Length, because sorry, with length? No, length is it's very possible, but the whole flowy thing that we always, yeah, the straight thing, the flowy thing, the, you know, when you see the videos or th there's always a very like, it's a manageable thing that is not necessarily possible with our hair. So growing up, not only black girls, black boys, Every one of us grows up seeing a standard of beauty that is not, not attainable. A, yeah, not attainable for any of us. So I think it's very like I, I don't think it's very strange that many of us do go for like the length and the. Yeah, but then again, with the standard of beauty that we know is outside mm. ourselves. But I also think I mean I think two things. I think it's aesthetics, but I also think there's an issue, and we all laughed at the edges, ladies. We laughed at the edges. But, and we all have edge issues, but I do believe that the issue of edges, even though it might sound crazy, is also class-based. Yes. 
good edges <laughs> says something about your status in the world. It's like, do you know what I mean? There are assumptions, socioeconomic assumptions, with bad edges. Really? Yes, really? yes. It's uh, you. You. You're not There's just. Language. There is language. There is context, uh, and the same thing with like our foreheads. How <laughs> I'm wearing bangs today, so you can't actually see them. And there yeah. are so many black women who blog and make jokes about like the, the, the movable wig. I saw one yesterday about a woman who was posting where you could see the line and she was like, apparently there's a new hashtag where it's like, what line or what, you know, what, and she was like, what is wrong with you? Like, mm -hmm. just because we've all embraced the wig, it doesn't mean we can't see it. <laughs> so she just kept on saying, we can see it. Like, it's there, we can see it. But there's also an idea that I don't know, with Beyonce, uh, with Michelle Obama, we have also politicized the ownership of this white beauty standard. So now this is also okay, because it says something about the spaces you have to enter into. But wasn't it just a couple of months ago, there was like the first picture of Michelle Obama with her hair in a natural state, and it, was, it, it made waves, because it was so crazy, and she has beautiful hair by the way, but it was so crazy seeing the former first lady of the United States, like the, the fact that she is on her vacation with her hair in a ponytail, that that would make headlines around the world, that she's chilling on a vacation with her hair out. It's, for me, that's very crazy. I think we should open for questions, because I feel like we could, keep going <laughs> and it could get like, yeah. Uh, if there's any commentary, anyone who would like to share, we also appreciate uh, uh, fun hair stories, things that we all or many of us can Anyone that's willing in. to share a fun hair story, uh, we have some giveaways. This is um, one of my friends in Toronto. She uh, does hair and she makes butters, going back to the ownership and learning to take care of your hair. And her product is one that I really use to help to like nourish my hair. So we have some giveaways. We have lots of them down oh, wow. there and we'll have them on display as well. You are? There was one back there and then a lady here in the front. The gentleman with the cap. Hi. Um, hi my name is Mariano. I've been Fashion photographer for 25 years. I've been working in New York, Spain, Milan, Paris, all these places. And for a few years, I've been doing is hair photography. So I know the struggles that you're talking about. I have a lot of friends that they work in hairdressing. Uh, that, um, that, as you said, they didn't know how to manage um, black people hair. And I always go to the same question. Because I have also a daughter, uh, I have also a son, and I told him, look, no matter what you see around yourself, if you feel good with your hair, just go ahead. And my son just took the razor blade and took it out. Just half of it. I said, do you like it? Yeah, go ahead. They will, they will tell you things in the street, they will tell you things in the school, they will tell you things like that. You have to grow thicker skin and go through it. The fact that we live in a society that the standards of beauty are so, so marked, so straight line, and so is the fault of 
I, I blame myself for being in this industry for 25 years, promoting these, these standards. But it's also our fault that follow them. It will have to be a moment that we have to change the click and just send everything away and feel, yourself, feel good with yourself. I, my natural hair is kind of like hair, natural hair. <laughs> I used to have it almost as long a hair, like till the elbow. And then I bleach it, I burn it, I straight it, I did everything to, because I can't handle it anymore. Now, I didn't cut my hair, I didn't cut my hair dressing for 20 years. I stick the razor and, and how it goes, it goes. I can manage it, I can hold it, so when it goes too far, I say my head, I'll shave it. And I don't care, and then, as you said, to fit in, to find a job, mm. yeah, I'm full of tattoos, I'm overweight, and I look like a hillbilly. <laughs> Man, I know what I will go into, I know that I can go anywhere, I can go in a, work in the bank, I can go work in, in an office. I tried, it didn't work. It tells you that you have to go on. I think it's interesting, thank you. I think it's interesting that you're saying that about work and access because I, I hear you uh, and I hear the idea that there's at some point we need to push back to these beauty standards that we know are normalized and naturalized and we need to uh, perhaps, you know, create our own pathways. But uh, I mean, as a flight attendant, have you ever gone with your hair natural? No. No. Uh, mostly because it gets very moist and dense and my hair doesn't really work well with that. So that's the primary reason, but also because, like you said, our hair is a very, it, I'm not gonna say it's a touchy subject, but it's, I'm 31, you don't wanna go like every day talking about your hair to new people. And that's what happens with your, like literally whenever you meet someone new, they want to talk about your hair. It's exhausting. They want to touch your hair. It's exhausting. And speaking about hair stories, I actually had a hair story that kind of relates to why I chose this very silky, long, very like for Caucasians, you know, pleasing for the eyes. Uh, a couple of weeks ago or a month ago, I was out with a couple of friends, uh, Jäger, and I had my fro. And we were dancing, we were drunk, and I could feel suddenly someone touching my hair. And I just assumed that this was a friend of mine. So I was drunk and happy, and I was like, don't know your face. Why are your hands all up in my, and then she was like, go and get great. Bitch, why the fuck would it go great? How do you just like, I just, I, 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 like, before I even reacted, because I was seriously about to slap her, and I was like, for the sake of yourself, you should just, like, turn around and go back to your friends. And she's like, but, no, just go back to your friends, like, right now. And she could not understand what she had done that was so wrong to go and just, like, a complete stranger. But that, and, and that's the thing, a lot of people think that our hair is okay. Like, our, not, not just our hair, our bodies as black women are mm. just, like, for society, yeah, on display. And when she did that, I, I was drunk, but also raging. And when she genuinely didn't understand it, like, 10 minutes later, she came back and she was like, are you still upset with me? And I was like, but bitch, what the <laughs> fuck is wrong with you? Who raised you? And I'm not condoning any kind of violence or assault on other people, and I did not do that towards her. But when I was going to the bathroom, and she was wearing a skirt, 
I just, when I passed her, I just slightly grazed her thigh. And she was like, <gasps> and she looked at me and she was like, <gasps> it's like, what? I like a glut. I mean, I, I'm not saying that it is okay, but I mean, <laughs> it's okay. Hey, you know, I, I mean, this, this is the thing with these experiences. I mean, uh, for me, it's also exhausting to be in a space that now I have to teach you yeah. about not touching my hair. It, it's just like, I just, I, sometimes it's that whole notion of like, now I must teach you what is racism, what is, I give you the language because you have the luxury not to know. Yeah. You know, like I got my hair searched in America and it was a mind fuck. Like, it was the most violent thing that happened to me at the airport. I was like, did, did that, and you walk away with, and I'm very, I've got delayed reactions. You know, like you walk away from these situations and you go, did, I, what, you know, and, and, and also at times it's just, I don't feel like teaching. I don't feel like having a moment and going, A, B, and C is two equal. So, on the train with my kid, train conductor puts his hand in my child's hair. I say, kindly, please do not touch my child's hair. Man turns around, looks at me and says, why? Is it bad luck? <laughs> Breathe. Deep. Say, no, that's my kid. She's six. She doesn't know you. I would just like you to respect her personal space. He, I watched him take a moment to think it through. I watched him take a moment. I was like, why do you need a moment for that? I watched him take a second like, oh yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then, post that, I tell the story. Feedback. Why are we talking about this? There's real racism out there in the world. People are fighting for their lives, Nasizwe. Why are you mentioning this hair story? What's so important about this, hey? People are not getting jobs, people are not getting apartments, there is structural racism we must deal with. But that is Why? structural racism that she's dealing with. And then you have to be like, not only do you have to defend the right to be like, my personal space is as important as yours, but it's also okay to be touchy about you touching my hair and also know that we must think about, you know, the police state and, you know, white supremacy and, you know, access to education. And why those two things can't happen parallel? I don't know. It's just like, uh, <laughs> my God. It's like we have to pick. You wanted to um, say something? No. Yeah, um, it really resonates. Sorry. Yeah, um, it really resonated. Hi, my name is Sipiwe. I'm from Swaziland. Um, it really resonated with me when you said, well, when can we just own it? Yeah. Whether it's length, whether it's a weave, whether it's your natural hair, natural state. I think it, it is that. It's just exhausting. Um, and I think, it, I, I think one of you may have touched on it. It's not, it's not just from a patriarchal, it's not from a race thing, but also women being hard on each other. Why is your hair in a weave? You know, just that thing of can we not just be? Um, yeah, that really resonated with me, and I, 
Yeah, I think I, if you wouldn't mind just exploring that a little bit more, like why can't we just be? Why do we have to have a reason? Like, you know, last week I had my little TWA, teeny weeny afro, <laughs> and then it's like, okay, well, now it's going for winter. It's a protective style, but everyone's like, oh, but your hair was so nice. No, I, you know, I don't want it to break in winter, but really, why are we discussing? <laughs> Can I not just be? I think we're mostly because we have grown up in a society that is telling us that we can't just be not only as women, but especially I feel as, as black women. And I think that for me today, or and I hope for all of us here on the stage, loving yourself today, no matter if you want to have your hair natural, if you want to have your wigs, is an act of rebellionism. And for me, I tell all my girlfriends, no matter what they want to wear, how they want to have their hair, like we need to stop looking for either our parents or uh, this male-dominated society that we're living in to give us confirmation on who we are or that we're good enough. So I, I oh please, Lily. I believe in the next, let's say, hopefully sooner, but maybe a decade or two, we will get to a place where we're not talking about this where it becomes um, a normal thing, where I can sit here with my hair, someone else can sit with their straight hair, and you know, all varieties, and it's nothing. It's you know, nothing to talk about. But as it is right now, because our hair has been hidden for so long, now it's coming out one at a time, and uh, rightfully there are questions. There are eyebrows being raised. Why is your hair like that? Why does it look like that? How do I take care of it? But I believe in the next, let's say, five, 10 years, um, it will be a normal thing where, okay, she has a weave, she has her natural hair. But until the, the black natural hair is seen as something that is fine and non-threatening and acceptable, I think we're gonna keep talking about it and, and keep asking, you know, why do you keep changing your hair and having the discussion? And I find this conversation, I find this conversation or this comment that you have triggering because I see myself as an activist. I see myself as a person who fights for uh, the open expression of black love, be it self-love of love of black community. Oh, I'm gonna cry. But I police women in wigs. I police women with weaves. I judge them. You're not, you don't know, or there's something in your hair journey, you just haven't gotten to the the only reason I don't police you is because I know you. And I know how revolutionary you are in all of the rebellion. And I have, girl, you, I have judged you, sure. <laughs> when I first met you about 10 years ago, and this woman, the way, the things that she did with her body, black love, like front page, like in a bikini, like what, right? And I, you know, looking at this picture like, shh. But I, Page I, on, like yeah. But that for me, I think that uh, again in the black community we have this thing where we decide how others should be, and mm. we have our parents talk about other people's kids, and uh, I was always very open and honest uh, about who I am and who I choose to be, and I've always been a very like natural person. I love my body and I love my natural body. I, I almost never wear clothes around the house because that's just how I am as a person. But I don't need to have other people telling me about my, my standards or what I'm thinking or who I am as a person because how I choose to go out dressed 
or how I choose to wear my hair doesn't define me as a person or say anything about my character. So if people want to judge me based on that, that's their problem because they're not taking the time to know me. And that was, for me, you were, and I think in a much bigger way than perhaps we've spoken about, such a teaching for me. But because, because I met you and then I loved you, right? And then I'm like, you're amazing. But that still doesn't mean you are, if I'm being honest, the exception to the rule, right? So all the other black women in weaves. No, but I Do think you know what that, I'm saying? Yeah, but I think that we have to allow in society to let women be multifaceted. You can be whatever you want to be. You can be a girl who has a weave, but you could be super woke and care about political issues. You, like that, that doesn't define who you are as a person. So I think it's more about society letting women be whoever we want to be regardless and giving women the space to grow into who they genuinely want to be. People, a lot of people, a lot of black people have judged me based on what I've done in the past. But like I said, I don't own them things and they have come up to me asking me, what have you done this? Why have you done that? Blah, 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 blah. But if I have spoken to my mother who gave birth to me, if we have had the discussion, I will honestly slap you if you come up to me and ask me, <laughs> to You're give you answers violent. about the choices I have made in my life. That's just a lady, a lot of... Oh, there's two. Hi. Uh, there was something you just mentioned now about women policing each other. And I have recently moved to Norway. I'm from South Africa. And I find that I've never been so confronted with having to deal with my hair or having to actually police white people uh, or other groups outside of African, that my hair is not to exoticize. Mm. Um, and then I find it that once I started to say, okay, I'm gonna go with the natural route, you know? And it's, it's probably the weather that forced me into it. But then I started getting women who are naturalists policing me. And I've gone through the last year and a half on a journey of whether I should relax my hair, whether I should have a weave or not. And I find that exhausting because I'm not only fighting within mm. of how I should wear my hair, I am fighting my own sisters. I am fighting society norms. And I think we should withdraw from that as uh, black women and not discourage each other and not judge just purely by looking and ask the story, even if you don't know the person, mm -hmm. give them the benefit of the doubt. Because what we do is society has made sure that we can play against each other. And given us what norms should be and allowing us to play against each other. And then what happens is our insecurities kick in. I've relaxed my hair and I decided actually I'm gonna cut it again. But I want to be, as a black woman, be able to do that. If I wanna process my hair, it should be okay. Here, here. Uh, and I would like to, I would like to, 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 to try and retract as if, you know, I'm playing devil's advocate as a role, but I'm not. And I think the reason why I subconsciously and perhaps actively police women with weaves, and I'm thinking out loud, loud guys, so, you know, give me, give me the moment to think it through. But I think one is that the tribe in Norway is small, right? As opposed to in South Africa, black people here still greet each other, you know, when we walk. You know what I'm saying? We're still there. You know, you see a black... <laughs> hello, 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 hello. Sometimes if you're in a really good mood, hello, are you fine, are you fine? Yeah, I'm fine, I'm fine, okay, okay. You know, never seen this person before, we'll never see him again probably, but we're small. Uh, and so in this very small black community, 
the politicized black person, and I think every black person has, you know, has the experience of being politicized and also being political, but the ones to, that choose to do something actively for it, some level have a uniform, I guess. Do you know what I'm saying? So the uniform is the natural hair, no? Or it's the <coughs> African um, <coughs> inspired, right? Which is all, yes. <laughs> you're, you're standing this sis. <laughs> and it's, it's something about the just being, you know, to recognize one another, right. the tribe. Right. And it's not so much that we, I, I disrespect my sisters and weaves, like I, it's not that I judge them for being less than me, I just judge them for not doing the work. I'm like, you're not, you're not, gotta but do the work. are you sure they're not doing the no. work? No, and this is why I f I'm standing here having a bit of like a moment. Everyone I'm works. being checked and I appreciate that. I, I really, I really appreciate that. I just want to take a... Sorry, sorry, my daughter, if I made, I turned <laughs> you into a police uh, person. Don't apologize. That you check others, but it's, it's what I thought. I'm 72 years old, and uh, well, you're still talking what we talked about when black power came into force, mm. when the Black Panthers came into force, when we were fighting to define ourselves as I'm black mm. and I'm proud, and I can say loud. That was completely political. Angela Davis, Mampila Rampila in South Africa, me in Norway. Angela, uh, Angela Maelu, oh, you know, all those women I want to identify with and whom you know. We were walking proud and tall and were speaking about freedom. And I thought I was imparting values here in Norway, they talk about Norwegian values. I was talking about identity African values to my daughter when I told her, you're going to be natural. Mine is bad. It's grown, gone. I used to do too much of that. And you know, I wanted also to look like, what's her name? Toni Morrison. Right on, my favorite writer. <laughs> but um, I just wanted to say that um, in my biography, I also self-biography, which will come soon to Norway next year, I think. I was in a psychoanalytical class. I wanted to learn group psychotherapy technique. And then uh, we were supposed to identify ourselves. I was the only black girl, obviously, and uh, that's some time ago. Norwegian women, I studied with them, and uh, men. And we're supposed to say who we are. And then I said, I'm a black South African woman. That was an explosion. It's like as if I threw a bomb. And uh, no one would accept that. They wanted me to talk of who I am inside me, not what I historically perceived to be me in my struggle for my identity, like Steve Biko did. So it is political. I'm thinking of the hijabs of Oslo. When the young Somalian kids, whom, whose parents I knew when they came here to Norway, way back, they didn't wear hijabs. And now 
Even the little girls are wearing hijabs. Why? What is that? What are they trying to say? So these identity formats, they come in many forms. And I appreciate what you ladies are talking about. And I'm very, very much, very concerned about identity mm. politics, about the way we perceive ourselves, perceive others and want to perceive, and want to let them perceive us. So I think we are each choosing the line we take in how we let ourselves be seen or what we project to the outside, how we want to be seen. But as far as I'm concerned, when I see a natural girl with natural hair, I understand what she's about. I know she's still in the same struggle that I'm at. And I don't. I don't. I don't look down on the others. I just think that's their way. But I still think That's not that true, mother. That is not true. <laughs> Well, I'm talking like a psychiatrist. Yeah, but that's not true, mother. Yeah, so yeah, we I think we're going to have to wrap we, up we, here. We, it's we. not true. Well, I judge. I judge. Yeah, I'm judge. sorry, child. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're speaking the truth. This is the house of yeah, truth, Yeah, but I like, I like Leah, too. I didn't want <laughs> I to. I know you like Leah, but she, again, is the exception. <laughs> Mama, please pass the mic to the lady. Okay. We must just and give then it I'm up going. Bye-bye. And uh, <laughs> please keep on talking about it like she said, like uh, Lily said. It, it will be talked about. Keep on talking about it. It will change. It will change. One day, uh, I'm beginning to accept transgender. I never <laughs> did before. Give it up for the elder. I, I, think, uh, uh, I think, if anything, Mama, I appreciate that you uh, bring forth the historical perspective. Because yeah, yeah. we were sitting here kind of feeling like what we're doing is on some level revolutionary, but the, our mothers and fathers have been doing it for quite some time. Uh, and I think that's a really, really important thing to bring with us, that black hair uh, and black self-love and the idea of identity and existing in a white supremacist patriarchal society. This is something we've been struggling with, not just personally or in community, but out in the world, you know? Uh, there are two comments here. So you first, yeah? Yeah, uh, I have a question. Uh, my name is Binta, and I'm half Norwegian, half Gambian, and I'm born and raised in Oslo. And what strikes me with this whole conversation, and one of my questions is, using weaves or braiding our hairs and doing things like that, are we perpetuating what we want to kind of say, this is not the standards that we want, but am I, in wearing a weave, perpetuating those kind of, uh, what's it called? Standards. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's where I find like the dilemma is at, so. And I also want to be free and wear whatever I want, but yeah. Right. Do you understand my question? That's a when br do we brilliant question. The structures we don't want to be brilliant there. Yeah. Um, can I? Please. Uh, I think that question is, is so good. What I grapple with, at, it's, it's like you take the oppression and you liberate yourself with it. It's not grappling with it. So it's like taking the word nigger yes. and using it back at, because we're gonna take this Hip -hop. this notion of oppression and interpret it in the way we want to interpret it right. and give it a language that 
is what I want to be, and that in itself is a way of going, you know, and, and people, so people, I think people choose the way, and they should be allowed to choose. Um, and that's, I mean, like, I'm, I don't own the word nigga. <laughs> I go, you know, but it's like, it's, it seems to me like that. I can make those parallels. So, do you? No, you want to go first? Yeah, but it's your guys' panel. I'm just supposed to facilitate. <laughs> <laughs> I just can't stop talking. So please, Lily. The simplest way I can sort of put this, um, trying very hard to answer your question. Uh, in living in Texas, our next door neighbor, her name was, uh, her name is Krista, and we got along so well. Great girl and wonderful family. Our uh, firstborns are the same age, so her daughter's the same age as my son, almost five. And I'd go to her house often, and they'd come over, and our kids hung out together. And while living in Texas, I worked for a, um, a tech company, and I was in the marketing department. And this was around the time where uh, the Black Lives Matter movement started, and you know, they talk a lot about hair and, you know, uh, you know, aesthetics and things like that. And one day, Krista asked me, she's like, what's the big deal? It's just hair. And so I said, you know what, give me a few days and let's have this conversation because I didn't just want to speak. I also wanted to take account her perspective. Well done. And in... <laughs> no, but that's really <laughs> admirable. And in working for the company that I worked for, I remember that sometimes we'd have to go and meet with clients and uh, would need one or two marketing people on the, on, in the meeting, the lunch meeting or a dinner meeting. And often, I would spend maybe 30 minutes or so in front of the mirror and ask myself, am I going natural? Or does this client, will they perceive me better if I had uh, straight hair? This was a dialogue I had every single time I'd meet with a client. I would research them, I'd research their team, I'd see if they have any black people on staff, because then it would be more apt that they're familiar with my aesthetics. So when I spoke to Krista, I, I asked her, I said, when you were working, she worked at a school, I said, before you went to school, um, how much thought or time did you give to your hairstyle? She's like, what do you mean? I you know, got dressed in the morning and went. And I said, Krista, before I go into the office, I'd have to look at who I'm approaching that day. Um, if our CEO would come to the local office, all that had to be factored in before I made my hair choice. Mm. Because I know that the way that they perceive me before I even open my mouth, my hair and my aesthetics would be judged first. So I said it's not just frivolous that we're talking about this. It affects our finances. It affects our day-to-day -day life. It affects us socially, right? So it's not a simple thing that we can just say, oh, it doesn't matter, it's just hair. We want it to be just a simple thing hopefully one day, where it doesn't matter, it's just hair, but as it stands right now, um, it's not just hair for us because it affects other areas. Now, um, to answer your question about are we enabling um, the Euro standard of hair by wearing wigs and weaves, I mean, that's a very, I can give a long answer to that. I, I wear wigs occasionally, and I do it mostly because if I leave my hair out all the time, all day, every day, um, the maintenance and the damage that it's going to do, it's just too high a cost, right? So I do it more as a protective style. So once in a while I wear a wig 
to have so that my hair can rest because our hair gets very dry and this goes back to the science of it. It gets very dry very quickly. Straight hair, for instance, there's this thing in the hair called sebum, is the oil that everyone's hair naturally produces. And sebum coats our hair. So for those that are Caucasian with straight hair, you'll notice that your hair sometimes gets oily if you don't wash it after a few days, right? We have that too, but the thing is, because our hair is coily and goes all over the place, the sebum doesn't travel all the way down the hair shaft, so it gets dry. So we have to add extra products to get it like that. So if I'm not, if I wear my hair out constantly, it's gonna break because it's not being moisturized. The sebum is not traveling down, and it gets complicated. So long and short, it's not just hair. <laughs> I, I, I just want to comment before I, I get to the question in the bar. I want to say that my uh, feeling with braids is that it is a style that originated from our, and by our, I mean black. I don't mean South African versus Nigerian, right? So more kind of pan-African understanding of black, right? And braids and cornrows, even though Cosmo thinks that Kim Kardashian is the one that introduced it. <laughs> You know, some of us have been doing it for a minute now. And that for me is like, it's a protective hairstyle. And also on some level, it's the time when I get to, you know, feel like I have long hair, right? Uh, but I don't feel like I'm perpetuating anything when I have braids. As opposed to potentially the weave. Uh, and I think the balance is to be able to interrogate the weave without judging the women who wear it. Being able to say, because of the time that we are in now, I think the same way that we talk about how everyone must vote, right? You know, we, we need to educate ourselves about like what it is that we want to mean and, and, and do politically, because we're living in a time where we have to be responsible and we have to be active, right? We can't like not. Yeah. And I think, I, I think it was so, so poignant that you brought up nigger because if you remember in the, in the evolution of hip hop, taking nigger back was empowering, right? It was about taking that oppression and doing something to the language of it and owning it. Yeah. So fuck you, you can't hurt me anymore, you know? You can't hurt me with the word because it's our word now. Then what happened? 90s hip hop, we elevated from nigger, common came and said that we must all call each other gods, right? Because we were more, than just the idea of seeing ourselves through their eyes, right? Which is the whole thing about like, natural hair is still saying that it's not just hair, <laughs> because just hair is white hair. <laughs> and our hair has to be defined as something more, right? And then now post God and everybody with the Ankh and the Erica Badu head wraps, and we all just went like, okay, that was kind of exhausting and there was a lot of incense being sold for like, <laughs> 10 years there, and we were like, okay, we're trying to push on with life. Nigger comes back, and it comes back twofold. It comes back in the political conscious language of Kendrick Lamar, yeah. and it also comes in the form of two chains. What do we do with that, right? We must, because essentially we're saying we must accept two chains and we must accept Kendrick, no? That's what we're saying. And, and like for me, when I think about two chains, I, I, I can, I can criticize him from a, from a capitalist socialist perspective because I can't get into the black thing there. Because when the black thing comes in, 
We must be a community. But the fact that you focus on money, we can interrogate that. Do you know what I'm saying? It's so complex that because we must still fight so hard to be a community, to support each other, it's very difficult to have these honest conversations within our community. I mean, we've all experienced being policed. I was telling these ladies, I was at an event, I was doing a show, you know, and then you need to like be feeling yourself, no? Standing backstage, South Africa's greatest Huma Sekela standing there. The one time in my life I decided I was brave enough to not have to just live in the aesthetic identity of a political activist or a thespian or like, <laughs> you know? I was gonna go for a weave and not just a weave, it was blonde bitches. Like, <laughs> I was taking it all out. And I'm standing there, I'm feeling myself, I'm about to go perform. Huma Sekela comes up to me and he's like, what is that thing on your head? What is it? Because he is so political, right? And his idea is that the weave, it's, it's us not claiming our culture. And so his masculinity and the ageism, that doesn't come into play because now he's just a black tata trying to teach me like I haven't made an informed decision. Do you know what I'm saying? So you say the word nigger, or you wear a weave, or you do this. I think the assumption must be that on some level it's informed. Or? I mean, this is my, because it's complex, because it's intersectional, and it, um, so for me it's always uh, my thing now, and it's a ritual, and I don't do it, like check in. Because you're gonna collude with masculinity, because it's the standard. And, and, and for me, with the times where, it, I, yes, I'm feminist, and I, and I found myself, I'm like, is, and I work with prisoners, you know, like a male, so, and, it, it, and that's how complex it is. It's a constant check-in. I think within the reflection and, and, and the checking in, then there's a bit of untying the knots, <laughs> the, dis, the distangling of it to a certain extent. Uh, that's what I'm hoping. Uh, what happens, you know, and, and, and I'm, I'm, at times I, I'm quite pessimistic because I just look in, at South Africa, it's 2017 or 2016, you've got a 13-year-old black child fighting for an Afro to be seen. You know, like, like the whole schooling system goes into a standstill in a school. It's 2016. And it's 2017, we've got Trump. Like there's, something, like there's something that we are missing as society, and I'm glad Umama spoke. So because there's a certain kind of moment where I go, is, is this like, is this time frozen kind of a thing? Because, you know, we are doing what she kind of did, you know? And, and yes, it does move, uh, but I just, I sit here, because it's not all like, it's complex, as you say. I'm a father of uh, four girls, right? So my dilemma is, uh, I believe them having their natural hair is a lovely thing. And uh, lovely being, my kids are mixed. So they have this hair that rolls down and, you know, what I didn't have. So then... I come back to that uh, story you said. 
Uh, I've got 12 siblings, and uh, we're only two boys. The rest are girls. But I remember when we were at home, uh, the time we got together as a family is when the girls were like, they had to do their hair. Mm. It was like they would cry, do all these things. But it, it was a way we, the family got together. Mm. My mom being there and being like, yeah, yeah, they talk and all these things. So I'm thinking I should have this culture with my kids and be like, okay, I don't know how I can school my wife or my girlfriend how to do the hair because she's not used to, like, you have to sit down and do your hair and everything. Then I'm like, okay, we need to go to England, then you see how we do it. But <laughs> when we go to England, everybody's seated down there doing the hair. They're all freaking out because the kids are really crying. And they're like, oh, oh. but then after it's done that one time, because you get these ends that get stuck together and everything. But when you do it the first time, it, it will be, it looks brutal and all these things. But then after it's done, she's all like, oh, do you see my hair? Do you see my hair? <laughs> you know, then, but, but, but the moms don't believe in that. It's like, oh, your culture is a bit like, but then it's like, but didn't you see everybody got together? They sat down, they were talking and stuff like that. Then the other point is, how far am I supposed to police my daughter on how to do her hair? Because she comes and says that my hair is going to be pink. I'm like, fucking no. He's <laughs> like, no, why? Why? You know, then it's like, the mom is like, you should let the kid decide what, what, she, what she wants to do. Then we end up fighting about that and everything because we i just had a fight with her because she wanted to have her hair blue then i'm like i'm not accepting that and then but in a way it's like i'm in europe and need to accept the kids to kind of like have a way to own what they have or that to, to find herself in a way so it's like where am i up for, uh, where should i put the boundary and be like, okay, I just have to let it go. But as a dad, I know I love my kid. I see the more beauty than her. I'm the only one that maybe would not want to take her pants off or anything like that. So I want her to just be natural, be who, who she is. So how do I get schooled for something like that to be able to be like, I'm helping her out instead of being just an old school dad. Can I, can I, how old is your daughter? Yeah, you've lost that battle. <laughs> I was actually gonna say, dad, the fact that you're here asking that question is, the, is testament to the fact that you're not an old school dad. It's, um, you're totally fine. Yeah, no, definitely. But in all seriousness, I think it's just the phase where she's going to experiment with things. I don't think there's real great danger there. Um, again, it is just here to an extent, and I think you're concerned enough just to have a dialogue with her. I think that's a good place to start. But as far as dictating her hair color, and I don't know if it will ease you, but I hope it does. But if painting or coloring her hair blue is the least of your problems when she's 14, it's still pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> here, here, uh, ladies, um, we have to wrap up with some. Final thoughts. Is there one more question? Yes. yes. Hi. Hi. Uh, 
Hi, uh, so this is more of a comment. Uh, I'm really glad I came here today because a lot of what you've said uh, resonated with me. So I'm Nigerian by way of America, and uh, in growing up in the US, I was always the only black girl in class or at university and moving on to the workplace, I'm always the only black girl at the, at the office, you know, and um, over time, I think I've endured similar <laughs> tests like you all have. And um, I've come to realize that when it comes to hair and the color of our skin and a lot of things that black women and Africans in general go through, we need to approach it with a level of, what's the word, <laughs> understanding. You know, so for example, when it comes to natural hair, in my family, there are three girls, one boy, and we all have different textures of hair, but we all have naturally quite long hair. Now, my immediate older sister, um, she has really great hair, but impossible to put a comb through, right? So for her, it's actually a necessity to relax her hair, otherwise she cannot manage it, right? No, but, but this is like the reality for my sister. For me, however, it's not. And a couple of years ago, I, um, I'd always worn my hair natural. And I think maybe about nine years ago, I relaxed it, re regretted it, cut it off, and started growing it out. And I had to learn how to make my hair on YouTube by myself just because it was not convenient to go to um, salons. It was too expensive. They see my hair, oh my gosh, $200. When I lived in the Netherlands, 200 euros. That seemed to be like the magic number. For wanting to do your hair every month, it's a bit of a hassle, right? And so I had to learn, and it takes, my husband will tell you, it takes me now about five hours every month to like do something to my hair, to make it look like this, because it's mainly natural, it's all natural, right? But um, basically, I think where I've come from, I, I think it's, I think, a lot of times when we're addressing issues with uh, the white community and how they view us as women or how they view our hair, I think that would probably take another century to like solve. However, I do think that within our community, within, I think we're also our worst enemies. You know, we do not accept ourselves. I mean, I went to a predominantly white university and when I went there, I thought, okay, a lot of racist things will happen, right? But to my surprise, the people who were racist against me were other black girls. I didn't look like them, I didn't talk like them, I didn't have the same hair as they did, you know? And I think that we cannot continue, I mean, of course we can continue to fight for our rights and uh, our rights to not have our hair touched and sometimes you know you want to punch somebody and I'm not always like this composed, sometimes I get really upset. But I feel that within our own community, we need to begin to accept ourselves. People only see you or treat you how you let them. And if we already do not treat ourselves well, then other people naturally will not treat us well or they will see us as we perceive that they should, right? And just one last thing as well, I think that perhaps our generation, this new generation, we have a lot of work to do with our kids to impact in them exactly how we want them to see themselves and how we want them to be perceived. So hopefully in 50 years, we're not having this same conversation. Thank you. Can, uh, 
Uh, I actually just want to say that I think that our generation, not to brag, is better than the previous generation when it comes to embracing our culture, our backgrounds, because a lot of us grew up with parents telling us how much you have to fit in, how much you have to look like the, uh, like the white people or talk like them. So I think that the generation that I know, at least predominantly of my friends, are way more accepting of our backgrounds and our cultures, and I think it's, uh, in general, not only in our communities, but as women, uh, accepting and letting people just be whoever they want to be. I think that is one of like the core issues here, accepting people for genuinely who they are and expressing who you are however you want to express that. Damn it, there's so many things that we need to touch on and we didn't have time. I, I, I appreciate your statement. Uh, but you said something that triggered, uh, and you said to make the hair manageable. And that for me is a difficult statement, because manageable in relation to what? Like my hair is manageable because this is how it lives on my head. So I manage it by just having a head on a neck, kind of. <laughs> Like this is, and, 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 I, and, I, and I think that's, so my daughter, you know, she, she comes home from kindergarten, she's now at school, but from kindergarten it was often, you know, and, and the words they use, yeah, the language was, the language. but it was, it was loving, it was affectionate. Right? Right. Yeah. But said with such love, because the, the white women in the kindergarten didn't know better. But I had to check that and be like, that's not okay because the symbolism, yeah. my daughter has a little troll in her room. Right. She, she doesn't appreciate that troll because it has beautiful hair. She understands the symbolism even though you might not, right? Yeah. She says, Bustete. I say, your hair is not Bustete. That's your hair. There's something about the language, manageable. It took me so long to deconstruct the understanding of what it means for me to have manageable hair. I manage my hair fine by not having to manage it at all. Yeah. And then we can talk about hair care, which is why you and I are having a date in a couple of days. Because I, I, I didn't have your hair journey. I don't know how to care for my hair, which I believe is a very language-based, very different from having to manage it. I don't need to manage it for nobody. But again, with career choices, I think also the fact that I chose the career line that I did was to have the freedom to say that. Because I know that in the spaces that you've been, you have to check yourself. I know that the idea of coming in like this, and then, and I respect that, you know what I'm saying? I totally respect that. And then this is how it becomes complex, because I understand that and I understand the issue, so then I cannot demand you to fight that oppressive space by coming in with non-manageable hair and we don't even have to get into the aesthetics of the fact that maybe you just don't necessarily want to have your hair like this but like yeah. where is it that we place our resources and our energies and our fight in this intersectional reality of at all having to think that we must become manageable in some sort of way right. and you know just and having I to get the paycheck is fucking revolutionary. Can I respond and I think to the, that lang the language itself, um, not necessarily what you said, but the language itself, I think, um, can be a bit problematic, saying the hair is not manageable. For instance, my hair, I have not used a comb in my hair for the last three, four years. 
because I finger detangle. Combs were not made for our hair. It breaks our hair. So in learning to take care of our hair type changes the, even the language that you use on it. So my hair is not, someone may see, oh, your hair's not manageable, I can't comb it, but then I can tell you that you're not supposed to comb my hair. Combs were not made for my hair. Exactly. I, I mean, I agree with what you're saying. And I think we'll get, in this case in particular, I think we're getting hung up on context because I feel that my saying manageable in this space was more or less a safe space to talk about this, oh, yes. right? Because I we hope you don't feel attacked. No, no, of course not. I just get very excited. No, 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 no. <laughs> of course not. But Good. when I say manageable, I can understand. I mean, if somebody called my hair manageable, depending on the context, that would piss me off. Right. But I'm talking about my sister in the sense that she's highly tender-headed. She cannot sit down to get her hair braided to save her life, right? And this is somebody that she's a geologist, and she doesn't have the time I have to spend doing my hair, right? So this is the context I mean. But I do completely agree with you that uh, certain languages used can also demean the purpose of us as human beings and as women, you know, but I think we should also be mindful of the context, yes. not to get upset when we hear the wrong word, because for me, it's just like an English word I said to express at the moment and not, you know, like I wasn't, I didn't mean how you probably took it. I totally respect that, but that again, which I need to shut the up, but it's something about the militancy that comes with feeling like all these things need to be checked so that our kids don't have to, right? So maybe you have come to a place where you're both more comfortable and accepting and knowledgeable about your hair and the way in which you have inhabit political spaces that makes you not feel necessarily, uh, not necessarily not mindful, but in as much of a need to check. I police, as we've become clear of. I police and police and self-police and police, but it's more just to try and educate and liberate because I don't feel liberated. I don't feel free, God damn it. Yes. We need to have this conversation off the stage because I also think, and this is also another very judgmental thing to say, I think it's a Nigerian thing. <laughs> Adichie, come on guys, Chimamanda, Americana, the way she spoke about the black existence in that book and the way in which she understood her blackness as something exotic and different only when she went into the United States. I'm from South Africa, you know? My blackness has context in ways that Nigerians have not had. And this is, you know, again, we're being mindful, right? But there's another thing, black Nigerian women, another story. Like, there's another type of identity carrying weight you guys have that I also think is interesting to unpack in relation to hair and economics in Norway. Who runs the hair salons in Norway? Who is actually making money from this crazy million dollar hair business in the city? It's Nigerian women, respect to that, man. They're holding it down here. That's, it's a beautiful thing. But 
again, last words. Ladies, we have one minute each. If there's anything you want to add on before we politely get off the stage. You know, because it's South African Women's Month and, uh, and I'm really trying to be hopeful at times, um, I'm, I'm blessed to have to stand on the shoulders of the women that actually speak up um, and, and say the things that they need to say as a sense of urgency and the lineage that I come from. And so when I hear your mom speak, I'm just like, yes, yes, <laughs> yes, they've arrived. And so what I obsess about these days is the notion of healing. Like, I, I just have to heal. I, I can't, it's, it's my, and, and there'll be triggers involved. They'll, because it's just, even the fact that you've got trauma on your hair, dead cells, just fucking fascinates me. I, I, I can't, you, we haven't thought about the body. So it's, what I obsess about is this notion of healing. And, and for me, it's because it's for me to just be able to breathe. Well, uh, speaking of healing, I would say that take your healing whichever way you can get it. If it's through wearing your natural hair, if it's through faking until you're making it. <laughs> gotta do what you gotta do. Uh, but I think, uh, uh, like we've spoken a lot about females and women being politicized, I think it's just important to, to the extent that each and every woman inside here can to just own whatever you wanna do and try to not look at how society is going to judge you if it's the black society or if it's the everyday society. I uh, approach it moving forward the way I approached it with my husband um, in that I didn't continue with just having the conversations but rather I worked on my hair and my understanding of it and why I'm, I've chosen to go natural and then in him seeing the results of it piqued his curiosity and his interest more. Where now, um, he's very optimistic about our daughter's hair. He's always, you know, nonchalantly saying she's gonna have the longest hair in the world because her mom can take care of it, right? So with that approach that I have within my family, it's sort of the same thing has happened outside. So when people see me and they realize, oh, is that your hair? I can then talk about how it got this long and why it became that way rather than, um, using the approach of policing or being offensive, you know, in that sense. And with that, I would like to say thank you so much for listening. This has been so informative. Thank you so much for sharing your stories, ladies. It has been a true pleasure and an if honor to speak with you. If anyone is interested in any of the butters, just approach me. I'll gladly hand one And stay for the shows, ladies and gentlemen. It's important to pay artists for their art. Peace and love. Have a good weekend. Hi everyone, um, before we all leave, I have, I would like to say thank you very much to Fellas Rada for Africa, and thank you everyone for coming for the show. Please know that at 7 o'clock, at 7.30, our next act will be up, Sur for Sahara. Sorry, I haven't introduced myself. My name is Dudu Zilene, and I will be your host for tonight. And uh, we would also like to thank World Remit, 
And a special thank you to Desmond and also Johan from Palisrada. Uh, please note that you will have to pay for the next performance. So if you do go out, you have to come back and pay. Yes, I'll see you later. Enjoy.